This morning, as I sat down and skimmed the newspaper headlines online, uh, couldn't help but notice they're pretty much the same as every other day recently. Uh, surprise, surprise, they're all about coronavirus, COVID-19. How many cases today? What are the recovery plans for our nation? Is, is China to blame? And if so, how's the world going to make them pay? How are the banks reacting to this crisis at the moment? Uh, what are people's reactions to the different government strategies? How are the supermarkets feeling? It's pretty much the same thing every day, day after day. But then there was the more normal stories that we're used to from every other time and every other year before coronavirus. There was the lucky story, there was the good news story, there was the sad story. There was the minor celebrity who's been charged with sexual assault. There was a tragedy, there was political news. Bad news, good news, randomness. And my big question always through it is, where's the justice? Any paper, any day, any year. And when COVID 19s all over, those are the stories that are going to stick around. That'll be the headlines every day next year, presumably. And they just make life seem random and unjust. A, a world where unexpected tragedies grab people and destroy lives. But here's the thing that's the newspaper every day. But Ecclesiastes was written 3,000 years ago by King Solomon. And yet it describes exactly the same thing. It's the same world then as it is now. The world of Ecclesiastes is our world. What does Ecclesiastes say? It says the world appears to be random, unjust, and the unexpected tragedies happen and fill people's lives. Written 3,000 years ago by King Solomon, as we come to the last few chapters, what he essentially does is start to ask, well, given that the world is like the world that the newspapers report every day, how do you survive in it? How do you get on when the world is like that? How do you respond to it all? Now, it's a bit hard to work out a structure through the last few chapters. It's kind of random, just like the world that he's describing so what I plan to do today is look at some of the characteristics that he points out about life and about the world and then ask, well, what's his advice? How does he say you survive? How do you cope through that all? And so the first characteristic, the first thing he says about life under the sun, if you just look at the world without reference to God and, and take in what's happening, is that it's unjust. Now you see that in chapter 7 and verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these things, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Or in chapter 8, verse 14, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. It's vanity. It's emptiness. That the idea is that there's no justice here. It's all around us, isn't it? You, you can do the right thing all the days of your life and be a great example to others and yet still suffer. And on the other hand, there's plenty of people who do the wrong thing and who get away with it. Think back to Victor Chang. He was a great heart lung surgeon, pioneer in the field in the 80s, did hundreds of heart lung transports, uh, transplants uh, in the field. And in 1986, Victor Chang became a companion of the Order of Australia. 
he got that because of his good work. But then in 1991, he was murdered. Following an extortion attempt on his family, he was shot twice in the head with a 32 caliber pistol uh, in Mossman on his way to work. On the other side of things, there's people like Christopher Scase, who defrauded many millions uh, of people, uh, millions of dollars, lived out the rest of his life in luxury and seclusion on the Spanish island of Mallorca. It, it, it's not fair, is it? But it's not only unjust, this world, as we look around. Solomon says it's also random. You can't pick what's going to happen. And so chapter 9 and verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. I mean, most of us work all our lives to scrape together a living and to find our way and pay off our mortgage. And if we're lucky, we get a pension or a super payout at the end in retirement. But you can work hard and, and not get there in the end as well. And yet at the same time, we've made an industry out of randomness. Uh, what's the industry? Well, the lotteries and the scratchies. I looked up the New South Wales Lotteries website and, and it's full of stories of, of all the winners going way back and there was 11 paid out $1.8 million on Mother's Day and it tells the story of several of them. It never talks about the millions of losers each round though, uh, but the winners, he, here's one of the latest ones. You're joking, $20,000 a month for 20 years? That was the stunned reaction when we broke the news to a Warrumble man that he had won Division 1 in the Step for Life lottery. When asked how he had planned to use his prize, he said, I'll definitely be sharing it with my family. But he did have an idea for a way he could treat himself to. I'm a bit of a car nut. I've always wanted a Mustang. So that's one of the first things I'll be doing. Oh, it's wonderful stuff, isn't it? Then the report goes on to say, imagine the excitement from his family when we told them the news. I bet they were excited. <laughs> but it's completely random. Why did he win and the others not? It's, but it also seems like our abilities are random as well. Like being a genius. Uh, anyone know who this man is? Stephen Hawking. Uh, those who knew him said he had one of the finest mind since Einstein, that he was a pure genius. Uh, what, what, what's he done to deserve that? What's he done to deserve being a genius? Well, nothing. He's lucky. It's, it's one of the cards that he's been dealt. Uh, not only that, but he wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. He wrote it at just the right moment, to just the right market, at just the right time, and he made millions of dollars out of it. He's a multimillionaire. How lucky is he? Well, if, you know, fortune, you know, it seems fortunate from those things, but if abilities are random, disabilities are also random as well. Stephen Hawking had motor neurone disease that he had from a very young age, and he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't write anything without the computer that was attached to his wheelchair, which he operated with his eyeball. Uh, terribly unlucky. And yet, on the other hand, the doctor said, well, he'd die before he was 21. Stephen Hawking lived to 76. He died just a couple of years ago in 2018. Is Stephen Hawking desperately unlucky or is he desperately lucky? 
abilities, disabilities, under the sun, it's, it all just seems kind of random. A third characteristic of life, as it appears to be, not only is it random, but unexpected events catch people out. And so chapter 9 and verse 12, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Now, we've witnessed many disasters in just the last few months. Uh, the bushfires before Christmas, the floods that came then in January that followed, COVID is now upon us. Uh, and that's just in our country. Uh, thousands of people have been killed around the world, lives interrupted, all unexpected. But there are so many, many smaller tragedies that happen every day, which are also unexpected and mostly unreported. I looked up the RTA website this morning. So far this year, 122 people have died on New South Wales roads in car accidents. That's more than COVID has taken in the whole nation. Uh, last year, 331 people were killed in New South Wales and another 10,366 people was, uh, were seriously injured and needed hospitalisation in car crashes. Now, you can't get more of an unexpected tragedy than a car crash. You know, bang! And life is radically different from how it was uh, just a second ago. And the ripples from that accident roll on and on and on, affecting many people and lots of your life. Uh, and, and Solomon says that life and, and, and the world at large is like that. It's unjust, it's random, and it's unexpected. And because of that, it, it could leave you feeling bitter and cynical. But there is one positive in all of it that, that Solomon sees. Uh, the good news is at least there's a level playing field. What's the level playing field? Well, that's we all die. Doesn't matter if we're smart or if we're dumb, if we're rich or poor, death is going to get it. Here's the picture of the level playing field. That is the level playing field, isn't it? And that is we, we don't end up playing on the playing field we end up buried under it, six feet under. Solomon says that death is the great leveller. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Have a look. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Doesn't matter who you are, you're going to end up dead. And so verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who's among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. 
Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Well, if that's how life is, how should we live? How do you you survive in a world like that where everything just appears random and unjust and unexpected tragedies and cynicism kind of fills the air and, and death just levels everything? Well, we could ask one of the great philosophers, one of the great minds of the last uh, 30 or 40 years, uh, this man, Homer Simpson. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched The Simpsons, uh, but there's one episode where Homer takes his family out to a Japanese restaurant, and while the kids are off uh, doing karaoke, Homer decides he wants to eat uh, the fugu fish, the blowfish. Uh, and it turns out that it hasn't been cut properly by the chef and he starts to feel sick and he goes to the doctor and he's told that he's probably only got 24 hours to live. And Homer makes a great long list of all the things that he wants to do before he dies in the next 24 hours. And one of the things that he wants to do is pass on wisdom for life to his son, Bart. He wants to tell Bart how to cope with life. And so here is Homer's wisdom to his son. But I want to tell you, uh, sorry, I want to share something with you. There's three little sentences that will get you through life. Number one, cover for me. Number two, oh, good idea, boss. And number three, I can't do that with this finger. (laughs) It was like that before I got here. It's pretty cynical, isn't it? You know, don't upset anyone in authority. Don't rock the boat. Blame someone else. Just keep below the radar and you'll have an easy life. But what might surprise you very much is that Solomon in Ecclesiastes comes to the issue of life in this depressing, lonely, difficult world full of injustice, randomness and bitterness. And he says pretty much the same thing, not, not quite the same, It's a bit differently, but there's a lot of similarity. And and what he does through these end chapters 7 to 11, he gives a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. None of them are going to quite solve the meaning of life question that he's been asking all along, but they'll tell you how to get on. They'll help you get on in a life that's like that. And this is the wisdom you need to have if if you leave God out of the picture. If you just discount God and just kind of look at the world, this is the best you can do. Uh, let's start with the don'ts. He says the first don't is don't wear yourself out. It's in chapter 7 and verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. So don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Don't wear yourself out. Just go for the easy middle path. Don't stick your head up above the parapet. He's saying, yeah, don't be a goody-two-shoes, nitpicking legalist. Um, that, that doesn't help. Neither does disregarding law because you might get caught and arrested and ruin your life that way. So just go the easy middle ground. Don't wear yourself out. The second don't. He says, don't take things that people say about you to heart. He says that in chapter 7, verse 21. Do not pay attention to every word people say. 
Or you might hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart how many times you yourself have cursed others. Makes sense, doesn't it? The next don't. He says, don't fight authority in chapter 8 and verse 2. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Don't be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause because he'll do whatever he pleases. (coughs) Don't be a crusader. Don't fight those in authority. Have you ever seen the show Yes Minister or later Yes Prime Minister? Uh, it's a brilliant comedy show. Uh, and the minister who later becomes the, the Prime Minister, Jim Hacker, uh, has his advisor, Sir Humphrey, uh, who's always giving him good advice. And, and, and he often comes to make a decision about something that's happening in the country and he's made up his mind, but he wants to run it by Sir Humphrey. And, uh, whenever Sir Humphrey, uh, didn't want the Prime Minister to do whatever it was he decided, he'd never outright oppose it. He would never say, no, that's, this is bad. What he would say is something like, Prime Minister, that decision is very courageous. And Mr. Hacker would, uh, would stop him, he would stop him in his tracks. You know, oh, courage, I don't want to be courageous. Uh, that sounds bad. But what Ecclesiastes says is, under the sun, don't be too courageous. Right? Well then there's the don't, the, uh, that's the don'ts. What about the do's? Well, number one, do. He says, enjoy yourself if you can. And so chapter nine and verse seven, he says, go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil. That is, yeah, put on the celebration gear. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. He's saying when you're dead, you're dead. So better do what you can now and try and enjoy it as much as you can as you go. Second do, he says, well, step out and take some risks. You know, try stuff because you never know, you might just succeed. If it's random, you might get ahead. And so that's what chapter 11 seems to be mostly about. And so chapter 11 and verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And so business ventures, you know, don't put all of your eggs in one basket in with your stocks and your shares. Don't put all your stocks in one company. Try a variety of things. Or he goes on in verse 3 in chapter 11, if, if the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. And, and what he's saying is that some things in life you cannot change. You, you don't know the outcome. You can't change what it's going to be. They'll happen whether you plan for it or not. Or in verse 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the cloud will not reap. In other words, if you want to be 100% sure about any venture, you'll never try anything. There's no 100% in life. And so take the chance. You don't know what might happen and, and some good may come out, especially if you diversify your portfolio. And verse 5, and you do not know what 
path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. That is, have a go. Have a go at different things. Try it all. Just get stuck in. Do stuff. Because you don't know which crop is going to grow. You don't know which business venture is going to succeed. You don't know which stock is going to grow in its value. Well, there's the picture of life under the sun that the second half of Ecclesiastes presents. He says it's unjust, it's random, uh, unexpected tragedies grip people, uh, there's cynicism and bitterness, and finally there's a level playing field as death comes. Solomon wrote that nearly 3,000 years ago, and the world hasn't changed very much, has it? That is the world as it is, it is life as we know it. Now, it's no wonder in a world like that that many people live with, with terrible fear and, and become paralysed into indecision by anxiety and worries. Uh, people live with terrible fears, don't they? 10% of Australians, something like 10% of Australians have a medically diagnosed anxiety disorder which, which cripples them. That's a lot of people. And, and many of us are just worriers. Uh, we have fear about the future. We have fear of the world. We have uh, fear of what might happen. We have fear of our children's future and their education. We have fear of everything, fear of unexpected and bad things happening to us. It's the kind of thing that the, that the current affair shows dwell on night after night. Uh, tonight, the supermarket product that will kill you or worse, that'll make you fat, or the tradesman who will rip you off if you let him into your home. And why do, is that the story night after night? Because fear is the easiest emotion to tap into. It's the easiest thing to get people to, to get them going and to, and to watch you. We, we live with anxiety. Some of us live with it all the time. But others, of us, on the other hand, are have a confidence that we, we really shouldn't have in life. We're overconfident. We, we think if we just have the right plans, if we've got the right strategy, that we're masters of our own destiny and we're masters of the universe and we will make it happen. It will be the case. Now, the Bible's got a lot to say to both those groups, to the anxious and to the overconfident. Let me leave Ecclesiastes for a moment and uh, come to the book of James at the end of the New Testament. James was Jesus' brother, and he wrote to people who were followers of Jesus, who were Christians. They'd, they'd believed that he was who he claimed, and they'd given their lives to him. But James says something to the overconfident, which also applies to the very anxious. It's in chapter 4 and verse 13 of the book of James, towards the end of the Bible, if you want to look it up. He says, Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there carrying on business and making money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Does that sound familiar? 
all the strategies, all the plans that we make, all the programs that we have for the future, all the intentions. Who who knows what's going to happen? He says we're remiss, we're we're temporary, we're, we're just like Ecclesiastes. We don't know. How many strategic plans were made by people in Tarmor last year before the bushfires came and took everything away? How many people have had all their lives mapped out? How many have made their 2020 holiday plans and their their, uh, business dealings uh, all figured out before COVID came? Who knows what will happen? What does James say is the correct alternative? Well, he says this in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. For those who are overconfident and also for those who are anxious, what he's saying is that we are in fact in the hands of God. And the good news is our world is not random. Our world is under God's control. And though we might not know what God is planning at each and every moment, it's entirely possible to have a confidence about the future. Not an overconfidence, but a confidence about the future. Because God has spoken of the future. And Solomon knows it. And Solomon will go on and say that at the end. And the rest of the Bible says it too. We can be confident about what is yet to come. We can be confident about our lives lives now with real cause. Not overconfident, but confident. And especially we can be really confident about eternity. Because our world is ultimately not random and unjust. God is in control. But under the sun, if this is all there is, if you take God out of the picture, it might not look that way. But so what we need is more information. What we need is for God to speak. And the great news is that he has. When the Lord Jesus came, he was more than just another wise man like Solomon speaking into this world of his own observations as he looked around and thought, well, what is the world like and how do you get on in it? No, he claimed that he was God himself. He'd come in order to tell us what life is like, to tell us what life is about and what it should be about, and and come to tell us about God, but also to came to reveal the future. And and more than that, to to guarantee a future, uh, an eternal future with him, uh, a glorious future which, which turns out transforms every day as we encounter it. It transforms every moment in the present. Because God is there and, and he is calling us into a relationship with him, a, a relationship of trust, a relationship of joy, a relationship of love, uh, this relationship with our maker who knows why this world is here and why we're here. Now, it won't mean that tragedies won't happen or that things will not Always, yeah, you know, or that things will go always as we hope them to go. That's not the case. It doesn't mean that we won't get sick from COVID or, or suffer like the rest of humanity. I mean, here's my broken finger from falling off a bike the other day. <laughs> but it will mean we can live with confidence that everything does make sense and that everything is for our good, uh, because God is good 
and God knows what he's doing. And, and we can know that we haven't been abandoned by our Heavenly Father when all of these random things happen. And we can thank God when the, the good stuff happens and when we can thank God even in the bad stuff because we know that God is at work. And so we don't have to be anxious about anything. We, we have a, a relationship with the maker of the years. We can pray and ask him to intervene and to do stuff. And, and we can know that he's got us. God is safe in his hands. And, and there's no better way to do life than that. Life with him. Jesus said he'd come to offer life and offer it to the full, and he does. And he really can give it. He really does give it. And he is the answer to Solomon's question about what gives life meaning and purpose. Because you know the thing that Solomon keeps saying stops anything that we do and all these things we're pursuing having meaning? He says death is the thing that means meaninglessness and Jesus has destroyed that. Once you've destroyed death and you are the Lord of life, you, you are the meaning and purpose of it all. And so you need to come to him. You need to work out if it's true what he's saying, if he really is that. But there is a relationship to be had with him in joy forever starting now. It's totally different. And we don't just have to kind of take the, you know, the best we can do advice. We can live God's way and know the truth and rejoice in that, knowing that he is with us and there's great confidence that can be had. Do you know him? And if you don't, will you put the effort into checking him out because these claims are so wonderful. I assure you they're true, but you can figure that out for yourself and do the work. It's worth the effort. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Solomon's wisdom. We thank you that he did do the hard work of looking at the world and saying, what does it appear to be like? And even though it is uh, on the face of it random and unjust and that there are ways even to succeed then, to do well, to try things. And so we pray that we would live wisely, that we would take his advice, but help us even more to know that you are there, that Jesus is real, that he is the king and he's conquered death and he's the one that brings meaning and purpose and transforms all of our days. Father, we pray for those of us who are going through tragedies and difficulties at the moment, whether it's through sickness or other loss or pain in their relationships. Father, be with them. Help them to know that you are real, that you give life, that you are for them. And we pray that you would grow them and grow us and help us to love as you have loved us, those around us who are in uh, desperate need. Help us to live for you, the King of life, the Lord of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.